Welcome to Maeve in America. I'm Maeve Higgins and this show is immigration stories told by the people who've lived them. Throughout this whole series, we've listened to amazing stories of what happens when you uproot your life and start all over again in a new country. But wait, what if you bring your children or have children when you get here? Well, we ask some of our favourite grown-up children of immigrants to interview their parents and we hear directly what their experience was. Also, I sat down with the writer-director, Alex Karpovsky, you might know him from Girls, to talk about what it was like for him growing up as the child of Russian immigrants. I dressed differently. I had like a weird, like, Slavic haircut. (laughs) That's all coming up, but first of all, I want to introduce you to my guest host for this episode, the brilliant comedian, the host of the wonderful Refinery29 series, Womanhood, the absolute best person on Twitter. It's a Prina Nanjula. Hello. Hi, Prina. Hi, Maeve. How are you? I'm fine. Prina, I was thinking for ages, like, how can I get a Prina on the show? <laughs> Especially because you're not an immigrant, so it doesn't really... It's true, but um, I guess everyone else in my family is. My parents came from India and my sister was born there, so I was the only person in my family born here. Do you call yourself a Yankee? I do. <laughs> I call myself a little Yankee. <laughs> I want to talk to you more about what it's like being the child of immigrants. I feel like when I was a kid, I definitely felt that sort of culture clash. My parents, you know, they were like tentative about how much like Western culture they could expose us to, you know, rules about TV and no sleepovers, no dating, mm-hmm. no gum. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know why gum was part of it. <laughs> Maybe just that like rough and tumble kid blowing bubbles. <laughs> Maybe that's what they were afraid of. Hey, why did your parents move here? There was like a need for doctors in the States when they moved here. So I think it was fueled by opportunity. Well, first my dad came over. They were both studying medicine. I think my mom really only came over because she married him. But like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if she would have otherwise. I want you to hear our first clip, which is also a lady who moved here because her husband was here. Yeah. And uh, this is Sharla Lauriston talking to her mom. You know Sharla. I love Sharla, yeah. Yeah, she's an amazing comedian, yeah. a great writer. She wrote on The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And this is Sharla uh, interviewing her mom, Emma, who's from Haiti. Why did you leave Haiti? For more opportunity. Everybody that lives in Haiti would like to come to America. And I'm sure it's not like that only for Haitian people. It's for all over the world would like to come to America. Okay, so Aparna... So I feel like economic opportunities are a common thread, like a big reason why people move to America. So what would you say are the things that maybe your parents have have lost out on by moving here? I do feel like that sort of wealth and progression feels more attainable here. But I think culturally, some things they feel like are lacking in the States that are in India. And there's a better sense of community in India in terms of like people are more tied to their families and like kids live with their parents longer. I guess it's Mm. just a more group oriented society, which I think sometimes people feel like Western culture breaks that down and is more individual based. So I think that sort of went against the values that they were raised with. 
Some of the families we spoke to moved here for super serious reasons, like more than the economy. Sometimes it's even about escaping oppression, like Alex Karpovsky. His parents were from the Soviet Union and then they lived in Israel for a few years before moving to America. Well, I just remember how much my parents loved this country when they first settled here. Like they really, really, really like fell in love with it. And I think one of the things that was appealing to them was the mobility of it. Um, that That is virtually non-existent in Russia. And the freedoms they enjoyed were not just sort of the mobility aspects. It was just like being critical. And uh, if you have disagreements about the government or about taxes, you could talk about it with your friends without being paranoid that one of your friends might snitch on you and make a call to the government. You know, like, this is how people lived back then. So, like, there was just a state of constant, constant, constant paranoia, which just uh, permeated every molecule in your brain. I think nobody will ever have, like, the same experiences as their parents. Yes. But I think if your parent is an immigrant, then that that gap is potentially much wider. You're both starting from completely different foundations. I think lots of our listeners are going to be excited to hear from this next parent and child combination because it's our regular contributor, Mona Chalabi. She's like our resident data expert. Yes. She's not on the show this week because she's back in England. Oh, God. But it. she did talk to her mother there, who happens to be an Iraqi immigrant to England. Wait, why did you want to leave Iraq in the first place? I left Iraq to do postgraduate training and the study, basically to get the MRCOG, which is a specialty in obstetrics and gynae. Uh, the other choice was America, but my brother felt it was safer to come here. And he, funny enough, he thought people are nicer here. What do you miss most about Iraq? I think it is the family bond, but it's no longer that because I have... I have been away for a very long time. I'm connected to the people, but when I went there, everything is... The city itself, I get lost now. The city that I could walk from any point to any point, I I will get lost there. I will not recognize it. If I go to Mosul, Mosul has been destroyed now because of this, what is happening with ISIS and what have you. How does that make you feel to like go to know that you can't really go back to those places? Um, it does hurt. And sometimes I feel like when I die, I want to be buried there. So let's go back to Sharla. She asked mm-hmm. her mom um, what was the hardest thing for her about like making the move and, and being an immigrant. Wow. It's the language barrier, the first thing. You have what you call anxiety to, you know, to talk. You think people are going to be laughing at you. And when I talk, the first question will be, where did you come from? Where are you from? I mean, I cannot make out your accent. And um, no matter where I go, the first thing people ask me, where are you from? So your accent is like an announcement that you're different. Different. That's it. Parina, did your parents grow up speaking English? In India, like you learn English as one of your languages. I think they probably didn't speak it at home. So Mm -hmm. it was still like that learning curve of using it more. But you you definitely go in knowing it. So I think that was helpful, even though I'm sure they had to like learn, you know, slang and like. Are they like big users of slang? (laughs) Yeah, now it's all slang. Bay and (laughs) turnt. (laughs) 
Lots of families that, that we've been hearing from, there's like a mix of languages. Going back to Alex Karpovsky, I mentioned that his parents had moved from Russia to Israel. Right. And his mom picked up Hebrew then. But he said that like when she got to America, she was like, oh, not another language. My mom never really picked up English, even though she's been here since 1978. Also, all her friends are Russian and she watches Russian satellite TV. Mm. So she's kind of in the sort of linguistic cocoon. Kind of my first memories of my life were sort of, you know, starting kindergarten and, you know, you're an outsider. You know, you don't speak the language. Your parents don't speak the language. I remember already, like, dressing differently. Oh, my God. They just didn't. Do you know what you were wearing? A lot of, like, overalls and uh, workmen-like aesthetic, (laughs) you know, a young factory worker, (laughs) you know, and, like, black shoes. Like, kids are wearing sneakers. Right. Like, you're not going to clock in at the coal factory today. (laughs) (laughs) My mom would, like, dress my sister and I in, like, matching outfits. And, like, we didn't have jeans till we were, like, much older. Really? Yeah, it was all, like, just interesting clothes. (laughs) And then I remember, like, my mom bought my sister and I, like, these old lady glasses, which we had for a really long time. They just didn't look right on small children. Do you think that was, like, something to do with not being from America? I think so. I think it was just, like, not, like, that whole pop culture realm or, like, fashion was still, like, set to, like, Indian standards, what was familiar to them. We were sort of in this bubble of being in America, but still being tied to Indian culture. Did you ever feel isolated from the culture you were growing up in or the culture that your parents were from? I think it just felt like, oh, they're just two worlds that I inhabit. And I sort of, the way you're different around different people, there were like sort of different rules governing both worlds. And it almost felt like two different identities a little bit. It was hard for me because I was already shy. So it was hard to put another thing on top of that, like a barrier to go through. So I feel feel like I was pretty like tight lipped about like my my own cultural stuff and even like taking like Indian food for lunch or something where other kids would be like, what is that? Or something Mm -hmm. would be like so traumatizing. Overly. Yeah, (laughs) I couldn't handle it. It's so much to do with personality too, right? No, totally. Because I remember even like we would go to a lot of like community events where they would have like learning classical Indian dance. And I would remember some girls would always bring their like American friend who just like tag along. Mm. and, And I was like so shocked that they were like could do that. I think it must be a really tough for the parents too, right? Because yeah. like they have these little kids who are like going out facing the world, being the like ambassador. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I know that some some parents are like, okay, we're just gonna we're gonna do everything we can to like assimilate, which is a loaded word, I know. But, yes. Um, and so often only speak English at home. And right. what I thought was interesting and and quite sad about um, Mona talking to her mom was that like the the kids didn't speak Arabic anymore. Were you disappointed that we didn't speak Arabic? Very, very. Because no matter how much or how good your language is, your communication is never going to be exactly the same as your mother tongue. Your communication skill is never going to be the same. 
until now I feel there is a barrier between me and my children because of the language. But uh, although I'm getting on, something right inside me to uh, give me the hope or makes me hope that I will have grandchildren and I will teach them Arabic. You also said that if we had children, you would secretly like raise them to be Muslim. No. You did? No. I would not do that. I will teach them Arabic. I will answer their questions in the simplest way, but not in a way to direct them towards Islam or not Islam. But like, I don't have a negative impression of Islam at all from having been raised in like a Muslim household. You said before that you regret the fact that we're not more religious. It's the fact that religion, for me, I've been through hard times in my life and I think my religion had such a positive effect on keeping me going. I wanted to talk to you about this very common trope, which is that, like, immigrants make all of these sacrifices so that their kids can then go on to, like... Shoot for the stars. Right, right. Uh, in this next clip, it's Asha Kondabolu. He's just a super talented artist and he interviewed his dad, uh, Ravi Kondabolu, who is from India, and he asked him about his early days in the US. So when I came to this country, I came here with $7 in my pocket. But we have to survive. We have to survive to earn our bread, to pay the rent. You came here in the 70s and as bad as New York was, it was also a very fun time. And you were talking about Studio 54 and disco and how peripherally you saw these things happening, but you never got to participate. Do you think about that? So while I am working in a store called Duven Raid, those days, the Donna Summer, all these singers, the disco started. That's the time I used to punch the prices open the box, punch the prices while enjoying the song. <laughs> I need a roof on my head. My kids have to be in a safe place. Every immigrant, they think that way. Not only from India, any immigrant from any country, the first generations have to work very hard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so sweet I know and just to think that like that's how he experienced the disco era this is in Dwayne Reed tagging items yeah yeah often the first generation are really just building something for their kids and their grandkids right not about having a fun adventure that was definitely the case with my parents they were both doctors so they had full-time schedules so they couldn't like you know come to our recitals or they would like come and then they would fall asleep or something where it was just like they were really busy and they were really overtaxed and we like were raised with like a housekeeper who would like watch us after school and stuff so I feel like there was this sacrifice of both their time and energy just to make things secure for us. It did feel a little bit like they were putting in all this time and energy so then when we did something that upset them or like wanted something that they felt like was not appropriate, like dating. They were like, this is like one little thing. Like we've done all these things. And then it's like, mm, you can't really come back <laughs> with a really good argument for for that. Yeah, totally. 
After the break, we've got more interviews with children of immigrants. And if you're the child of an immigrant, we would love to see your photos and hear any stories of you and your parents. So post them on Twitter and Facebook at Maven America using the hashtag FirstGen. Welcome back to Maven America. I'm in studio with Aparna Nancherla. Hi, Maeve. And we're talking about a family's experience when the parents are immigrants. Ravi Kondabolu was telling his son that he came across some discrimination, mm-hmm. like being a brown person. And he said it like depends on where you move in the US because he told this story of being in Louisiana and this was 40 years ago. Yeah. Here are the Kondabolus again, Ashok and his dad, Ravi. Me and my brother, we went to post office. The people standing in the line, different um, colors, black, Spanish, Indians, with the local people, white, they skip the line and they go go to this desk and uh, nobody can open their mouth. But when I moved to New York City, it's a different here because of uh, all immigrants and everything. So that was um, one experience that, mm-hmm. that he had. And like you said, he feels like it's different here in New York. But then again, just last week in New York, there was a guy assaulted on the J train and told to go back to his own country. And yeah, I think today there's like this rising number of hate crimes against people of colour. Right. And of course, Srinivas Kachibotla was killed in Kansas. Right, right. Um, so how are your parents? Like, how are they doing? I feel like they're, their experience is more just what they're seeing on the news. Yeah. Um, I think it's, yeah, upsetting to them. And also, I don't remember, like, either of them telling me specifically about incidents of discrimination when they were first here, but I definitely know they've had like, you know, weird culture clashes with people. But I think maybe they also just didn't tell us to like shelter us from it. Um, Yeah, Yeah, that's funny because it wasn't until Mona interviewed her mom that like and she asked her and her mom was quite reluctant to say had she or hadn't she experienced anything like this. And um, I mean, this kind of shows it's not just the US, it's in the UK too. This is Mona and her mom. You don't have to say who it was. No, I don't know that person. Walked toward me and said something very racist to me. I was shocked. What What was the racist thing that was said to you? Oh, God. I was told. Mum, Mum, you can't whisper it otherwise there's no point. You can't I don't want it. to say it. What was it? It was bad. It? It's a bad word. I don't want to say oh, it. Okay. He said it to me and I don't want it. Somebody brainwashed him to think of everybody who is not white is something bad. That is his mind. I don't want to say it. Can you spell it? I wouldn't even spell it. Um, otherwise, how can, like, I think it's really important. You can't mime it to me either. Part of the point of this, I think, is that people don't understand how difficult it can be sometimes to be an immigrant or to be someone who's not white. So, like, people need to know about that kind of abuse. Okay. It called me scum. I felt like turning around, I'm not a scum. I'm someone who served the community all my life and contributed probably better than your parents did because they did not contribute to bringing you up properly. But I couldn't say that to him. I just walked off, so don't get upset about it. 
But it is upsetting. I think that's one of the worst words you can call someone. But that's what he said. Were you wearing the headscarf when it happened? Yes, I was. So I think that's another example of like the gulf between like parents and kids. Right. And I spoke to Alex Karpovsky about this Mm -hmm. and he told me about his parents and like where they came from, really. Yeah. They're both born in 1940. Mm -hmm. So the war, you know, was still going on. Of course, it was raging and their, their first memories were just the war. My dad's first memory was cannibalism. This is a whole separate podcast. But, you know, in Leningrad, there was this chapter of the war called the 900 Day Siege. Yeah. So, you know, a city of three million people, one million people died. So my dad was born into all that. And after like six months, there wasn't anything left to live. So you had to kind of eat whatever you could find. So he, his earliest memories are of cannibalism. And like, how does he tell his like little five-year-old that like it living in America and like the suburbs, like those things seem so uh, disparate to me that he could have both of those experiences in one life. Yeah, I know. I, I know what you mean. And he's he would remind me of that all the time. I mean, he, I, I live in L.A. now. My mom and dad visited me last week. And a lot of our conversations still, after many decades, is you have no idea how good you have it. We went to Santa Barbara. We mm-hmm. stayed at this nice little hotel on mm-hmm. the beach. Whenever they get glimpses of the paradises, the true bounty of this country, it always kind of makes them think, you have no idea how good you have it. And they're right. I, I can't ever fully know. Yeah. I'll never know. So, Aparna that level i know like i grew up in leningrad right during the siege yes like that's that's a whole it almost feels like another world yeah i, I can't imagine I, I think it's also just like that level of trauma like to experience it is like no matter how much empathy you have you just won't know what that's like what it feels yeah. like yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have a funny story about my dad uh, and food, but not um, that dark. But um, he, when he first came here, he like, uh, like he didn't understand Western food very well. Like he had only grown up eating Indian food, and one time he went to like a pizza restaurant, and he didn't understand like how the sizes work. So he ordered like a medium, and then. They brought it to him and it was like huge. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, no, this is wrong. So he just like got up and sat somewhere else. (laughs) What? Like he just abandoned his food to be like, "Mm, I I, I can't. can't. I'm going to start over at another table. (laughs) No. Aparna, there's like one more thing that I want to play Mm -hmm. for you. This again is Alex Kapotsky. I did feel like really different as a kid. And I tried so hard to fit in in so many different types of ways, trying to decode, like trying to understand the symbols of a community, of a a system, of a a culture, and then trying to mimic those um, symbols and recombine them in my own way. I spent so much of my childhood thinking about that. You know, okay, people like sports. I'm going to start watching football. Um, people like this, I'm going to start doing that too. These clothes, okay, whatever. This music, got it. Movies, I'm in. You know, and it was just like, it wasn't even driven by any genuine passion at first. I mean, you get hooked onto stuff, but like initially it was just like, accept me. I don't want to be different. And it, it, the difference was all stemmed from the fact that my parents didn't grow up here. They're immigrants. 
Aparna, does that ring any bells for you? Like, do you ever feel that because um, you were like in a way translating one world for your parents or mm-hmm. and moving between worlds that like that gives you more an edge <laughs> than someone who just only knows of knows one experience? This is like a more dramatic level, but like if you were a spy and you have to sort of pass in two different environments, mm-hmm. like it, it feels like you're sometimes just like putting on an identity in a in a way that you have to rather than something you're just trying out. Right. Yeah. A spy. A spy. <laughs> <laughs> this is not my way of telling you I'm a spy. <laughs> you know, I'm secretly recording this whole thing. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> is that what these microphones are? <laughs> Um, that kind of echoes what Charlotte Larson said too. Mm-hmm. Um, let's hear Charla. I love being the daughter of immigrant parents. I love feeling special. It makes me feel set apart. I just know a world that other people don't know. And it helps me. It informs this world a lot more for me because it helps me compare. You know, like I feel like if I see American kids doing one thing and I know Haitian kids do another thing, I feel like it makes me more aware of the world. I think I'm incredibly fortunate to be who I am and have my culture and like have that experience of being different. It's been very uh, beneficial to me. Every week we end on like a funny or silly thing because uh-huh. I don't know if you know, but the world of immigration is pretty dark these days. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, so this is called Cheer Up Charlie. Cheer Up Charlie. This week it's comedian Freddie Sheffield. He grew up in New York and his mom came from Japan. Here he is performing at Fresh Out at UCB East. Yeah, um, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm half Asian, Blasian. They got a little hybrid words for us now. Blasian, I'm a Blasian. Like I sound like a, a weird type of vest or something, like a like a blazer and a cardigan mix. Because it's a Blasian right there. That's a Yeah, so we were a weird family. Like I got I got racially profiled at an early age. Like me and my mother be running to catch a bus. And because I was young and a little fast, I'd be out front. But the cops would stop us and be like, look, miss, just tell us what he stole. There's no reason for you to get involved. <laughs> And these were black cops, so it was kind of like an ill twist. It was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, but growing up Asian, man, it was rough because, like, the, the American culture, the far west meets far east, it's like total opposites. Japanese culture is real docile, real respectful, and real polite. In America, it's like just the opposite. It's like the ruder you are, the crazier the shit that comes out of your mouth, the better off you are. I use this past election as an example. <laughs> And it was hard, man, because I was at home. I was super polite, and outside in Brooklyn, I couldn't be soft. You get soft, you get beat up. So I, I got like a, a mix. I'd say really polite shit, but I thug it out a little bit. I'm like, thank you very motherfucking much. Thank you. Aparna, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Oh my gosh, thank you. I loved listening to everyone's stories. Did you? Who was your favorite? Who's gonna? <laughs> Where can people find you? Um. Well, your address. I... What's your address? <laughs> My address is aparnacomedy.com. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I recommend your album, which is called Just Put It Out There, which is so funny. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and your tweets, which are free. 
And to really close out this episode, we have a special treat for you. It's a new song from Emmy the Great. She's an amazing person. She's an immigrant herself to the US and she's also the child of immigrants. It's a song that she wrote. It's called Mahal Kita and it's about her time interviewing Filipina women in Hong Kong's Central District. Take it away, Emmy. I am walking through this city with my ear down to the ground Trying to find something I lost, I know it by the sound You are underneath the bridge and all the cars are driving by And I say, stranger, won't you let me come and sit with you a while Cause my tiredness is luminous, it trails me like smoke Here beneath this road I think I've found the antidote In those dancers in formation In those people singing songs In the woman slicing papaya outside Louis Vuitton You say I know that we are stars Cause the moon follows me home I know that we are stars Cause the sun is yet alone From all the people in their cars You teach me how to say Mahal Kita That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Maven America is a joint production of Pretty Good Friends and First Look Media. This episode was produced by Erica Romero with help from Shayna Feinberg, Julie Smith-Clem, Priyanka Srinivasan, Matt Schiltz, Nick Bornstein, Lital Malad and Pat Masidi-Miller who wrote our theme music. The show was engineered by Cameron Drews, Paul West and Brian Pugh with music by sending letters to the sea. Special thanks to Shanoa Estrada, Mike Sapp, Fresh Out and UCB East. Check out our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Maven America for photos. And please share this episode with somebody you think might not otherwise hear it. And if you're the child of an immigrant, we'd love you to share photos and stories of you and your parents. Just post them on Twitter and Facebook at Maven America using the hashtag FirstGen. Can't wait to see you. Breathing in the noise from all the people in their cars. It's spilling from my lips, Mahakita. You are free Nobody can tell you that you're not Free Mahakita Mahakita sells the card we're sitting on Tonight she'll come and tidy it away when we are gone And the streets will all be empty And the banks will all be closed The taxis will be lining up to take the tourists home And tomorrow I'll keep searching for the rhythm of a song That I heard once as a child Though the melody has long, long gone And I will think of you every time I'm here Lit up by a Tiffany's that used to be De Beers While the people turn to crowds and the crowd turns to a throng 
And a woman slices papaya outside Louis Vuitton. <laughs> <laughs>